After you've given, would you turn with me to Genesis chapter 28, verse 10. Genesis chapter 28, verse 10. I'll be reading from the New King James Version this morning. I also want to say on behalf of, uh, speak on behalf of the Boudier family. Most of you know that yesterday uh, we celebrated the life of a dear friend and family of this house, uh, Terry Boudier, who went on to be with the Lord on Wednesday of this week. Um, what a great man that he was and a blessing to this house. Uh, some of you may not have known him because he was always up in the balcony playing the bass faithfully every week and uh, serving. He and his wife, Karen, have served here and been faithful here for many years now. And uh, so he is, he's in heaven today, and uh, there's no sadness there where he is, but only rejoicing. Uh, if, I can only imagine the intensity of the presence of God that he felt on this Sunday morning. On behalf of their family, let me say thank you to all of you who called, came to the viewing, came to the funeral, who um, Facebooked texted, called, whatever it may have been. Thank you for that. Thank you for those, uh, the worship team, Pastors Chris and Yolanda, who pulled a team together from all of our campuses to sing and and lead us into worship yesterday and to honor Terry. Thank you for that, for those who came out. Um, The choir that came and showed up on a Saturday afternoon, thank you so much. For the team that prepared the food for their family and, and served and cleaned and did all those things, I just want to say thank you. On their behalf, um, please continue to keep Karen in, in your prayers. Uh, she will need her church family to stand around her and lift her up as she dreams again. Dreams again. Genesis chapter 28, verse 10. Now Jacob went out from Beersheba and went towards Haran. So he came to a certain place and stayed there all night because the sun had set. And he took one of the stones of that place and put it at his head. And he lay down in that place to sleep. Then he dreamed and behold, a ladder was set up on the earth and its top reached to heaven. And there the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham, your father, the God of Isaac, the land on which you lie, I will give to you and your descendants. Also, your descendants shall be as the dust of the earth. You shall spread abroad to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. And in you and in your seed, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have spoken to you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, surely the Lord is in this place and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. Then he arose early in the morning and took the stone that he had put at his head, set it up as a pillar, and poured oil on top of it. And he called the name of that place Bethel, meaning the house of God. But it had been Luz previously. Father, I thank you for your presence that we felt in this place. I'm asking you, Lord, to open our hearts, our minds, and our spirits to hear from you, to receive from you. I thank you, Jesus. 
that you want to move among us today. You want to speak a word to us, to challenge us, to shape our future, and to help us to be all that you've called us to be. I thank you for it right now. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. We're in the middle, in the middle of a series entitled The Privilege of His Presence. We've talked about how His presence is accessible, but it is still a, a privilege. Because Jesus did what He did, we have access, but because of the cost, it's still a privilege to be able to come into the presence of God. We talked about what happens in a church service. Basically, two things, go, two things go on in the context of every church service, or should. We touch God, and God touches us. There's a number of ways those things go happen, but we, we talked about the difference between His omnipresence and His manifest presence. Remember, God is everywhere all the time. Remember, the Scripture told us that He's in the heavens, and He's all the way in hell. He's in the air, and He's in the sea. He's everywhere all the time. That is the omnipresence of God. The presence of God everywhere all the time. But his manifest presence, the word manifest literally means to uncover or unveil. So when we see his manifest presence, it's literally as if it's always there, but God is removing the cover from it so that it it becomes more bright, more vivid, uh, more intense. The manifest presence of God. Last week, our bishop talked to us about the ultimate counter. What would happen? If God really showed up and walked into the room this morning, what would you do? What would you say? How would you act? Would you tell anybody or would you be embarrassed? How would you respond? I'm challenging you to seek the presence of God, to find the presence of God and get into it. Today I want to continue this same theme. And the title of this sermon today is just simply the place of his presence. The place of his presence. His presence is found in a place. I want to talk about that. Because if we can find his presence in a certain place, and I'm looking for his presence, I need to go to the place where it is. If I need something from Walmart, and I know that Walmart has it, then what I need to find is the place where Walmart is so I can go get it. So I pull out my, uh, my phone and I open up my mat and I type in Walmart and it, it gives me directions to the closest Walmart, to the closest place where I can get what I'm seeking. Are you with me? So if there's a place, I need to find it. Genesis chapter 28, we're going to find our first um, point here. It's the story of Jacob's dream and his realization that he had stumbled upon the house of God. Jacob is on his way to the house of Laban to find a wife. He finds that, uh, but the problem is he doesn't find one wife, he finds two wives. And we know that the scripture says he who finds a wife finds what is good, but too much of a good thing. (laughs) I'll let you finish that. So Jacob is in this journey and he lays down and goes to sleep and he has this dream about angels ascending and descending and God begins to speak to him. What a moment it must have been. Because he wakes up and in verse 16 he said, Surely the Lord is in this place. Put a verse 16 for me, Des, if you would. The Lord is in this place place not just in me not just in my dreams 
But he looked around in this what just he thought was just part of the desert, thought was part of the wilderness, just was a normal place. It was called Luz. It was just a pasture with, and a rock. But suddenly he realizes the Lord is in this place. Now remember, God is everywhere all the time, but something different was on this plot of ground. He said, uh, how awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God and the gate of heaven. You see, here's what he understood in that moment. The presence of God is stronger in certain places than others. It just is. It would be nice to say that the presence of God is the same everywhere all the time. And anywhere you go, you can find the presence of God exactly the same. And to some degree, that is true. But more often than not, as you study the scripture, uh, the Bible shows places where people continued to return to because the presence of God was stronger there than in other places. So even today, You've got churches on nearly every street corner of this country that are all doing their best to reach God and to reach people. But how many of you know the presence of God is stronger in some places than He is in others? If you've visited around a few churches in your life, if you've gone and uh, traveled as I had and you've been in this place or that place, you'll know that the presence of God is just stronger in certain places than he is in others. It's just the, just the place, just, just the ground, just the place where God says, I'm going to do business right here. Jacob recognized that there was something different about the plot of ground. It used to be called Luz. He said, man, I'm going to have to change the name of this place. I'm going to have to do something different here. So he sets up the stones to remember the place and he changes its name and he calls it Bethel, meaning the house of God, because he said, this is none other than the house of God. The house of God represents the primary meeting place of both God and man. But not all houses are the same. Not all places are the same. I believe that God is looking for some specific things to determine the location that he wants to work out of. So when he shows up here, he shows up because he wants to do work. He wants to do what he does. Four things that I have seen in my studies as I have studied this issue of, of the place where God shows up. The first is just simply, a, it's a place where he has chosen. The sovereignty of God. Why was it that that was the place where angels were ascending and descending? Why was it that rock? Why was it that piece of ground? I have no idea other than God said, that's the place. That's the place. That's the place. So there is the sovereignty of God at work. He just says, that's a place I'm choosing and I want to show up there. Does it mean that the church down the road isn't praying just as hard? Isn't trying just as hard? Maybe not. It just means that God says, that is the place. I believe that God has chosen Triumph Church as a place where he shows up. I believe he's chosen us just out of his sovereignty. Am I better than the next pastor down the road? No. Am I a better preacher? Probably not. Maybe so. Hopefully. I try really hard. <laughs> is our worship team better? I know they give it everything they have, but so does everybody else. So what is the difference? I believe that God said, this is the place. When we were looking for this building... 
We weren't just looking for a good location, for a good place to have church, for something that we could afford. We were looking for the place where God said, this is it. This is the place, the sovereignty of God. Secondly, he's looking for a place where he is welcome. God doesn't tend to just barge in unwanted. Now, he can and he has, but his pattern is not to keep showing up in a place that doesn't want him there. He says, no thanks, I'll just stay covered. So he's looking for a place where he feels welcome. Where, where he feels like he's wanted and welcomed and received. The third thing is, he's looking for a place where he is honored and valued. You know, there's a difference between welcome, being welcome and then a being honored. Being honored. When I go to my father's house, I'm welcome. He's not always honoring me. But when my father and my mother come to our home, uh, and when they're always you know, busy and traveling, we tend to always go there. But when they come to our home, we pull out the good silverware. We let them sit at the head of the table. We cook the best meal we can, and we lay it out because we want to honor them. Same for Lindsay's parents. We want to honor them for who they are in our lives. So they're always welcome, and we're welcome where they are, but we want to honor them and value them and say, hey, thank you for being with us today. Oh, yes, there are parents. Maybe they should come over all the time, and they sometimes come over a little more than we would desire. But <laughs> come on, don't act, don't act like you don't have parents like that. I'm just kidding. I, we have, I have the two amazing sets of parents. But I want them to feel honored and welcomed. I want God to feel honored and welcomed in this house. Don't you? Number four, I'm looking for a place. I believe he's looking for a place where he can work. If we won't let him work, then why is he even here? I mean, God isn't tired and worn out and in need of a break and a vacation. Our human bodies get weary. We need a day off. We need rest. We need to sleep. God doesn't need to sleep. I think that's maybe why he wakes me up in the middle of the night. Just because he's not sleeping. And he figures if he's not sleeping, I shouldn't be sleeping. But when God shows up, he shows up so he can do something. When his presence shows up, it's there to accomplish something. Not just uh, so we feel good. Even though we do feel good in his presence, he wants to do something. But if we won't let him do it, if we won't let God move, if we won't let him work, if we won't uh, let things happen according to his will, he just says, eh, no thanks. I'll move on to the next place. I, I want to find God's place, and I believe that this is God's place because we are intentionally creating a culture where he is welcomed, honored, valued, and where he can work. I want to see his love and his power dispensed here at an even greater level. I want this to be a place where people can encounter God. Is that what you want out of this house? Is that what you're looking for? Do you want a place where you can encounter God? Amen. I know you do. Numbers chapter 2 and 3 gives us some instructions on how the encampment of the Israelites were set up. Remember, there were hundreds of thousands of Israelites floating around in the desert. When they did the count in, in Numbers, just the men 20 years old and older, excluding the Levites, there were something like 650,000 Israelites. Then you add the women, the children, uh, the, the Levites, 
Man, this, there was a lot and a lot, a lot of Israelites floating out in the desert. This, this created serious problems with how do you feed them? So God had to provide manna and eventually quail. How do you give them water? So Moses had to strike the rock and water came out. Not just a little trickle, but a river. Uh, So this created all kinds of problems. But when you sat down to camp and Moses is leading and he's following the, the, the pillar of fire by night and the cloud by day. And he says, this is the place. So they camp. There had to be some instructions and some organization for these hundreds of thousands, millions of people to set up camp. These children of Israel were literally about four times the size of southeast Texas as, as far as the population. So you think if you, you packed the entire southeast Texas, Jefferson, Hardin County, Orange County, all of us together, uh, go, the Golden Triangle, we have about... 450 to 500,000 people in this area. You packed us all in together and then you multiplied us times four and you said, now go set up camp. How many of you know it could get a little chaotic? Right? Everybody wants the best spot. Everybody wants the flat place. Remember, you're sleeping on the ground. So you don't want one that's got a bunch of rocks in it. You want one one that's tilted. You don't be rolled onto your bed all night long. You want the flat place. You want it under a tree because there's no air conditioner. So, hey, that's my tree. And people are fighting over the tree. You know, you know there would be problems. So God gives instructions. He says, I'm going to tell you how to do this. And this is what he shows them. If you put up my, my uh, diagram there for me. I don't know if you can read this, but you see um, the 12 tribes of Israel around each side. Uh, to the north, Naphtali, Asher, and Dan would camp, which were three of the tribes. To the east, Judah, Issachar, and Zebulun would camp to the south, Reuben, Simeon, and Gad would camp, and to the west, Ephraim, Manasseh, and Benjamin would camp. And this is how God set this up. He literally gave instructions in Numbers chapter 2 and Numbers chapter 3 for how he wanted them to work. And in the center of all this, you see the blue area there, was the, tabern- the tent of meeting or the tabernacle of Moses. Some referred to it as the tabernacle of testimony. This was always in the middle. This was the house of God in those days. It was a tent. And Moses would set it up first, and then the people would camp around it. They didn't set up the people around it and then the tent. They set up the tabernacle and then the people around it. Housed with inside this tabernacle in the holiest of holies was what we referred to or what was called the Ark of the Covenant. This was representation and the literal manifest presence of God on the earth in those days. This was it. So what you see here when you step back and look at this is that God set this thing up so that the Israelites lived their lives with the presence of God right in the middle. Wherever the presence of God set up, I'm going there and I'm going to build my life around it. They didn't pick a place and say, hey, this looks good. There's nice trees and there's a stream flowing and there's flowers and there's plenty of things to eat. This looks good, Lord. We're going to set up here. Why don't you come and join us? No, 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 no. They said, where is the cloud going? Okay, there's the cloud. All right, we're going to set up around it and make sure that our life is built around the presence of God. Let me ask you this question. Is your life built around the presence of God? Our lives must be built with his presence at the center. They have to be built with with everything built around him, his presence, his will. 
We fast forward to the New Testament. Matthew chapter 1 verse 23. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is God with us. So now we have this, we have this um, realization that God came because he wants to be with us, but we've got to want to be with God. Not just when we want him, but we've got to want God all the time. God, I want you to be the center of my life. I want you to be the center of my home. Is God welcome in your home? Is God free to move in your home? Is God free uh, and honored and valued in your home? Is is he the center of your home? Because if, if he's not, don't be surprised when he's not there. Emmanuel must be the center of our church, the center of our services. We, we need the singing, we need the sermon, we need the, the, the fellowship, but at the, the core of it all, it's really about his presence. Over the last few centuries, the emphasis has moved from his presence to other things, all of which are good. I'm not downplaying the importance of worship. I'm not downplaying the importance of opening the scripture and preaching the word of God. Jesus did it and so should we. But not at the cost of forgetting about his presence. His presence must be at the center of this house. All the other things point us to him. They point us to his presence. Exodus chapter 33. In these verses of scripture, chapter 32 and 33, the Israelites... You can take my map down for me. The Israelites are camped at the base of Mount Sinai. Moses has climbed up the mountain and is talking with God. While he's up there, he lingered longer than they were expecting. And nobody wanted to go up there and look for him. So they got worried, decided he disappeared. He's not coming back. What do we need to do? So they go to Aaron, who's the high priest, and they say, Aaron... We need, uh, Moses has disappeared. We don't know where he went. I don't, we don't know what's going on with that guy. He's a little weird anyway. What we need you to do is we need you to make us a God that we can worship. Aaron says, okay, no problem. I can do that. Bring me all your gold earrings and your gold necklaces that you got off the Egyptians. Bring them to me and I'll see what I can do. So they bring him all this gold jewelry. jewelry. <laughs> Sorry about that. They bring him all this gold jewelry from all these people around. And the Bible says that he took his tools and he fashioned them, melted them, worked with them, and created a golden calf. And here's what he said. Um, he, he, he presents the golden calf to the people and he says, Okay, everybody, this golden calf is the God who led you out of Egypt, who delivered you from the Egyptians and bondage and slavery that you were in for 400 years. This is the God. Worship him. Not the brightest move he ever made. God, of course, sees what's happening. He's less than thrilled. He sends Moses back down there and says, Moses, you better go down there. I'm going to kill them all. I'm going to kill them all. I'm going to kill them all. Everyone, I'm going to kill them all. (laughs) Moses goes down there. Moses is irate. He is angry, throwing things, pulling out his sword, ready to kill everybody, trying to calm God down, but at the same time, ready to kill them all anyway. He breaks the stone tablets that God had literally written on. He breaks them because he's so angry. 
He goes to Aaron and he says, what's the deal, man? I leave you in charge for like five minutes. Aaron was like, actually, it's more like, you know, five months. But, you know, we're just chilling in the wilderness and you've been gone for weeks. Whatever, Aaron, what happened? Well, I don't know, man. I just threw the gold in the fire and out popped this golden calf. The Bible says he fashioned it with his tools. And he says, no, I just threw it in and out came this calf. So it must have been the God. I, I don't know. They wanted it. I just, gave them what, I just gave the people what they wanted. You're supposed to be the leader, Aaron. So they literally, uh, they, they, they killed 3,000 people who said they wanted to worship the God instead of worshiping the true and living God. And then Moses takes the golden calf, he breaks it up in a bunch of little pieces, puts it in the water, and makes the people drink all of the water with the gold in it. He was not happy. You didn't want to cross Moses. <laughs> so he goes back to God now. And we pick up in Exodus chapter 33, verse 3. God says, okay, good, I'm glad you did all that, but, but watch this. He says, Moses, I, I want you to go up to a land flowing with milk and honey. What he's referring to here is the land that God had promised them, what we refer to as the promised land. God had promised, I'm going to give you all this land. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. I'm going to conquer all of your enemies for you. You're going to live there. We're going to be together. You're going to be my people. It's going to be amazing. God says, go up to the land flowing with milk and honey. For I will not go up in your midst, lest I consume you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people. Here's what God said. If you read the verse before that, he says, I'm sending my angel out before you. I'm going to take care of all the enemies. I'm going to take care of Jericho. I'm going to take care of Ai. I'm going to take care of the Moabites, the Amorites, all the otherites. I'm going to take care of all of them. Don't you worry about that. I am going to deliver on what I promised you. You can have the land. You, you can go there. You can live there. Just like I said you would. Because I am a God of my word. So I'm going to live up to my end of the covenant. But I'm not going with you. Because you're a stiff-necked people. And I'm going to end up killing you along the way. And that won't be good for anybody. I'll have to start this plan all over again. So God says, I'm going to give it to you. But I'm not going. Moses says, God, you can't do that. He picks up in verse 15. He says, Then he said to him, If your presence does not go with us, don't bring us up from here. For how then will it be known that your people and I have found grace in your sight except you go with us? So we shall be separate, your people and I, from all the people that are on the face of the earth. Moses is begging God, listen. God, you can give us all those promises. You can give us the houses that we didn't build. You can give us the farms that we didn't plant. You can give us the, the, the cattle and the donkeys and, the, and the, the sheep and the livestock and the chickens and the goats and everything. You can give it all to us. You, you can give us everything, the walls. The, you can give it all to us. But God, here's the problem. If you don't go with us, it's not worth it. We'll just stay here in the desert. Moses said, I would rather be in the desert with you, God, in the wilderness with you, sitting out here at the base of Mount Sinai with nothing around us, eating manna and quail the rest of my life, than to go one step into the promised land and you not be there. Do you hear the heart of Moses? I don't need the fame. I don't need the fortune. I don't need to be a king. I don't need to have wealth. I don't need to have all that. I just need you. Because if I've got you, I can be in the middle of the wilderness. I can, I can be in the middle of the dry place. I can be in the middle of a desperate place. But I'll make it. But I'll be protected. I'll have provision if I've got you. I'm going to live my life without you. 
This is the heart that, that Moses reaches out to God with. He reaches out. No presence, it's not worth it. I'll stay. You see, the third point I want to make to you today is that his presence must go with us. It's not worth it if he's not with us. It's not worth it. God, you've promised me so many things, but it's just not worth it if you're not with me. You, you can have all that other stuff. I'll stay here as long as you're with me. What's the difference? Verse 16. For how then will it be known that your people and I have found grace in your sight except you go with us? What is it that separates us from the rest of the people of this world, God? What Moses is saying. Everybody has gods. They got the moon gods and the sun gods and the river gods and the water gods and the plant gods and, the, and the, any kind of gods you could, you could ask for. They had all these types of gods. Everybody around here has a god. But what separates us is not the cities, not the wealth, not the land flowing with milk and honey. What separates us is your presence. And if we don't have your presence, we don't have anything. Even today, his presence sets us apart from other religions. You see, the truth is that most every other religion on the earth teaches some good and some moral lessons. And they have good intentions, but you know, not any religion will do. Only one will do. You can try them all, but they won't do for you what the presence of God will do for you. Because there's only one true and living God. It's what separates us. How will it be known that we have found favor in your sight? How will it be known then that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life? How will it be known then that the Bible holds the truth of the word of God unless your presence goes with us? You can have the dreams, you can have the fortune and the fame, the power and the wealth, the new car, the new home, the the fancy clothes, you can have it all. If it means your presence is not with me, I think I'll just stay, God. Because what else would separate me? I can call on Allah, I can call on Buddha, and none of it will do me any good because there's no presence of Jehovah there. I need your presence, God. So if you don't go, I'm not going. I'll stay. One more verse of scripture and we'll close this morning. Joshua chapter 3. Verse 1. Then Joshua rose early in the morning and they set out from the Acacia Grove and came to the Jordan. He and all the children of Israel lodged there before they crossed over. So it was after three days that the officers went through the camp and they commanded the people saying, When you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God and the priests and the Levites bearing it, Then you shall set out from your place and go after it. Yet there shall be a space between you and it, about 2,000 cubits. Do not come near that you may know the way which you must go, for you have not passed this way before. God said, Joshua, listen, tell the people when they see the ark. What was the ark? The ark represented the presence of God. When you see it passing before your, your home, pick up your stuff and follow it. When the presence leaves, you leave. When the presence goes, you go. When the presence moves, you move. 
Don't be sitting at home while God is moving. Don't be sitting at home while His presence is there and alive. Don't be sitting, but go after Him. Where were they going? They were going to the promised land. They were going to the place of victory, the place of fulfillment, the place where where dreams would be realized, the place of rest, the the place of freedom. They were getting away from the heat and the the dryness, the desert, the manna. They were getting away from all of it. They were getting away from their past, their their old habits, their old uh, bondages, their old captivity, their old problems, their old mindsets. They were getting away from all of that. If they would follow the presence of God, they would go into a great place. As I was working on this sermon yesterday, God spoke to me. And he said, tell the people my presence is passing before them. Follow it for it will lead them to new places, places of fulfillment, of victory, of rest, of freedom. A place where dreams are realized and promises fulfilled. Old things are passing away and all things are becoming new, but only in my presence. The past is over. Will you follow my presence? Are you willing to leave it all behind for me? I believe that many in this house are going to a new place that you've never been before. Joshua said, stay stay just behind the ark. Because the ark will lead you. You've never been here before. You're going, to, you're going to conquer new ground. You've never been here before. You, you've been off in other places. You've been in the wilderness. You've been in the desert. You've been in Egypt. You, you've got all that, but, but you don't understand where you're going. The, the, the things he wants to take us to. So he said, follow the presence and go after it. I want to speak a word to you today. You're going to a new place. A better place. A place where promises are, are fulfilled where dreams are realized, where destinies come into focus, where your marriage is what it was intended to be, what you dreamed that it would be on your wedding day, where your family is living for God in peace and in harmony with one another like you saw in that movie that time, where, where your business is functioning and working and new clients There's plenty to go around, plenty to hire new employees and give raises and bonuses. Where your body isn't hurting anymore, where your back is healed and pain-free. Where the illness that you've struggled with is dissipated. He wants to lead you there where you go after his presence. This morning as I was driving in, you may close your Bibles. I left very early this morning. As I was just driving along, just worshiping and praising God today, getting ready to be with you this morning. So the the fog was so thick. I was I couldn't hardly see anything. And the road I was driving on at the time, you have to be very careful because there's a lot of animals on both sides of the road and you just you don't want to hit anything, so I'm driving along and I and I'm I'm thinking about how in the fog, there's, there's no depth perception. You, you, you lose track of where you are. You can't see things around you. You, you. you keep looking to make sure, am I going the right way? Am I in the right lane? Is there somebody coming at me? You tend to go a little slower because you, you can't see if there's, you're coming up on somebody. And God said, Randon, there's, there's people in the house today, watching online today that are in a fog. 
your life is a fog. You lost your depth perception. You lost touch with where you are, where you were going, what you were doing. You just don't even know. You're just kind of floating around in a fog, wondering, looking, reaching, asking questions. And he said, tell them, in my presence there's clarity. In my presence, they're going to be able to see where I'm leading. Would you stand with me today? We're closing this morning just a couple of minutes early. Because as has been our custom the last few weeks, I want to end this service in a time of worship when we can just enjoy the presence of God. When he, where He can speak to you. Where He can touch you. Where He can lead you. His, his presence is here. Will you go after Him? Will you make His presence the center of your life? Will, will you make Him welcome in your home? Welcome in your life? Valued and honored everywhere that you go? His presence. We're just going to worship. I'm going to pray for you and, and bless you. As you feel it's your time, you can slip out here in just a moment. Uh, whenever that is, you can stay a minute. You can stay an hour. We'll worship as long as you want to worship. We'll enjoy His presence as long as you want to enjoy it. He's here today. He wants to touch your life. God wants to do some work this morning. He wants to bless you. Father, I thank you for your presence. I believe, Lord, you've chosen this place. I believe that just as Jacob saw angels ascending and descending, I, I believe that the same thing is happening in this house today. Angels ascending and descending, carrying orders from the throne room to help us, to, to touch us, to fix things that we've been praying for, to carry out the orders, to take care of the need we've been asking you for, Lord God. Do your work today. Let us experience you. Because Father... In this house, we're not going anywhere without you right at the center. Give us the courage to step out and to follow you, to worship you, to, to lift our hands, to lift our voice, to experience you in a new way, Lord God. I thank you for those in this room today and those that are watching online, that they would be able to follow you and make your presence the center of their lives, the center of this house. I bless them in the name of Jesus. Blessed everywhere they go, everything that they do this week. Bless them. Let your favor separate them. Put your name on them. In the name of Jesus, we pray.